Turn to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to be reading the first eight verses. And we're going to be focusing on that little phrase, make my joy complete. Now you know, I'm sure all of you know, and if you haven't thought about this, if you're too young to have been self-aware enough to realize that this happens, then you should pay attention and take note of this. But you know how when you're stressed or when you're afraid or when you're worried that you can be irritable with people that you love? and you start snapping at them and arguing with them and fighting with them, even though they haven't done anything, and, and you don't have any disagreement or frustration with them, what it comes down to is that that raised stress level in your life about something else is causing you to not get along with somebody that you actually love. Well, that's coming out, as we all know, from inside ourselves, right? You can't just blame it on something else. But we recognize that that happens all the time to us. Paul knows about that too. Paul's no dummy. And so, after he has done his best in the first chapter to take away some of the worries and the fears and the stress that the Philippian church is under, worries about his condition, fear about enemies and opposition and persecution and prison for him and for themselves. After he has reminded them of the work that is being accomplished and how good it is that the gospel is spreading, he now goes on to encourage them to unity and peace. I mentioned this last week that we'd be coming to this. He wants them to love one another. He wants them to have true unity with one another. He doesn't want them... to turn on one another if they're afraid. You've probably seen that happen in your own life, like I said. You've probably also seen it happen in movies where, you know, you've got all the allies in the room together, and something bad has happened, and they start tearing into one another. They start bickering, and they start pointing fingers, and they start blaming one another for what's happened, right? Have you guys, you recognize the scene in the movies, right? And then, inevitably, what you generally see, I guess, maybe not inevitably, but somebody says, hey, wait a minute, why are we all fighting with one another, We're all friends here. Let's stop pointing fingers and let's go fight the actual enemy, right? Well, Paul doesn't really 
take that tack. He takes more the tack that your mom takes when you're fighting with your brothers and your sisters. He says, don't you want to make me happy? Then don't fight with each other. Love one another. It's a sweet thing to see. Paul doesn't, Paul doesn't hesitate to stoop to the level that we would sometimes be tempted to call emotionally manipulative. He's very Jewish in how he talks and how he relates with this group of people, this church that he loves. But he doesn't want them to turn on one another. He wants them to get along with one another. He wants them to love each other. He wants there to be real unity and peace. And so what he does is, since he knows one of their main concerns that they share, this whole group of people that, you know, from different families and different backgrounds and different socioeconomic strata and all the differences that you're going to see in a church, right? He gives them, he takes, he takes something that he knows that they share in common, which is their love and concern for him. And he turns it around and he says, Okay, see, we're all on the same team here. See, we're all supposed to love one another here. Don't you want to make me happy? He doesn't hesitate to tell them what would make him really joyful is if they had unity with one another in the church. So let's read it now. This Sweet little bit of love from Paul to the Philippian church. Please stand as we read God's word from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion... That's the list that I can never get straight. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated.
Getting along with one another isn't enough, is it? You know the difference between getting along and unity? You, you hear the difference? Getting along is like <clears throat> you're refraining from punching each other, right? Are you, are you getting along with one another? And sometimes as parents, well, like that's, that's a high enough bar, right? Just as long as there isn't utter mayhem, as long as there isn't, you know, outright fighting, biting, kicking, punching, cursing one another, as long as there's not yells and pulling out of hair, like, okay, good enough for now, right? Everybody's getting along just fine. But that doesn't mean that there's been actual unity and love going on downstairs, right? Getting along with each other isn't enough. And so, when Paul starts with this if, therefore if, the if that he, the, 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 the conditions that he puts there, if there is any encouragement in Christ, now, now, let's just stop there and ask a question. Is there encouragement in Christ? Is there encouragement in Christ? Now, these, all of these conditions are meant to be so obvious that the if is a given. It's a given. He knows these things exist. He knows that they're going to say, yeah, those things exist. And so he's working his way towards that then you should part, right? And it's so broad and basic, he knows that they're going to insist that these things exist. What are these things? If there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion. Now, in the context of this letter, I want you to see that what Paul is talking about here is he's talking about, first and foremost, the relationship between himself and the Philippian church. That may not be obvious when you just read these verses. Especially if you just read that one verse alone. If there is any encouragement in Christ. If there is any consolation of love. Well, how does encouragement in Christ happen? What does it mean in this context? Well, he's talking about in the relationship between him and them. And what he's just gotten done spending a whole chapter trying to do is to encourage them in Christ, right? And what's happened just prior to him writing this letter is that they have sent money to help support him while he's in jail. So, so what he's building off of is not a, um, 
He's not saying, you know, you really ought to have these things. He's saying, look, these things exist between us. We know that they exist, right? He knows that there is consolation of love between the two, between the, him and them because they have tried to console him out of their love by sending a helper to him with money to help him. If there is any fellowship of the Spirit, do they have fellowship with one another? It's a given. It's obvious. If there's any affection and compassion, Now, why do I say it's, it's primarily talking about between him and them? Well, because <clears throat> the context makes that clear that he's, he's building the whole time in this letter on the relationship that they have with one another. Excuse me. <clears throat> and he's using it throughout to try to exhort and encourage them and strengthen them in what they're doing. And so it also becomes clear again immediately in the next verse when he says, then here's what you're supposed to do. Make my joy complete. Do you care about me? I know you do. (laughs) Then, Then here's what I want you to do. Make Here's what would make me really happy. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. If you care for me and about me, make my joy complete. He knows that's what they want to do. He knows that they're doing everything they can to help him, to encourage him, to strengthen him. And so he turns around and he says, here's here's what I really want to see. What I really want to see from you is I want to see this true, loving unity. getting along with each other isn't enough. You see this kind of thing happening in churches, tolerating one another as opposed to loving one another, the same way that you can see it happen with siblings. You see it happen in big family gatherings where you know, there's this uneasy truce, this uneasy sort of ceasefire. North and South Korea are getting along with one another, right? They have a demilitarized zone. They have an agreement not to be killing each other. But they are not united in purpose, are they? (laughs) 
And so as Paul begins to describe what he wants to see from them that would give him such joy, it's not surprising that he also contrasts it with what it doesn't look like, right? Verse 3, do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. You see how he's going back and forth. He's doing this compare and contrast thing that you get essays about, right? But first, he gives that description of what he's going for. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. And so, Lord willing, we'll, in the coming weeks, spend more time on these verses, verse 3 and 4, and then going into the deep theology that you see in verses 5 through 8, where he begins to draw us from the motivation of the fact that we love him and we want to see him happy up to God and Jesus being our motivating factor and our uh, model that we're trying to follow. It's a big jump up. And there's some heavy stuff in there. But this week, what is it that he first says will make his joy complete? Being of the same mind. The unity that he seeks for the Philippian church. He describes it several different ways, being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. And so, we have have a little bucket of Duplo blocks, you know, the, the extra, extra large Lego things. And uh, you can see when there's kids that are fighting over the Duplos, right? There's not enough of them. There's never enough of them. Even houses that have a lot of them, I venture to guess there's that one piece that there's only four of and you wanted 12 of them to start with, and she has two of them. You can also see an example where there's two kids, both playing with Duplos, no fighting going on, right? Doing their own completely different thing. One of them's building a tower, one of them's making a house. That's great, they're getting along. But what's missing there, if you, if you see this passage, and you begin to compare, is they're not, 
united in purpose, are they? They're not of the same mind. And that's fine when you're talking about Duplos. But when you're talking about a church, you want there to be a shared, common vision, purpose, goal that everybody's working towards. That's what's going to make Paul's joy complete. It's not enough just to get along. Kids, if you want your mom to be really happy, to have a real smile on her face, she can't wipe it off because it's just, she's so happy. Here's how you can do it. Everybody, all the kids paying attention? It's not enough to just get along with your brothers and sisters. You want to go a lot further than that. It's not enough just to get along. You want to have the same goal and be working together cheerfully. You want to see mom walk into the room and smile. You want to see dad be beaming proud. Let them catch you working together. Not working together to cut down the tree that they wanted to keep, right? but working together on something that is beneficial for the whole household. Beneficial for the whole family. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind. This is one of those places where I think... Uh, we can get embarrassed about the wrong things. We can, we can get embarrassed about the level of unity that we have. Like, I know this is not normal. So now I'm going to get self-conscious about it and be awkward and like try to pretend like I don't love people as much as I do. Or like we're not as united as we are. You know how when you walk into a room and... Somebody's been doing something that they shouldn't. They jump and have a guilty look on their face. I remember very particularly one time when I jumped and had a guilty look on my face because I was caught, like in high school, I think, weeding in in the garden in front of our house unexpectedly. I had that exact same, like, I didn't want anybody to see me doing that. Not because I was trying to keep the good, it was just embarrassing to let somebody see you doing that kind of, on your own, without ever being instructed, like, what's that going to mean? It means that they're going to, like, increase their expectations of you in the future, like, that Hey, you, you know how to notice when the garden needs to be weeded? The same thing happens with unity. Like you, you, get, you get caught demonstrating how much 
enjoyment there is in spending time with and love there is in unity when, you, when there's real fellowship happening. And everything changes. Because now, the next time you get caught fighting, it's a lot worse, isn't it? Paul is seeking for there to be a real deep and abiding level of unity in this church, the Philippian church, and of course this means our church as well. He desires to see the church of Jesus Christ bear this kind of fruit the unity that he seeks, it includes doctrine. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind. One of the things that you'll see that Paul does several places in the New Testament is he'll just say, here's what we teach, and... If you don't understand it, God will reveal it to you. And if you don't agree with it, well, you know, you'll become convicted of it. He just expects that we're working towards being of the same mind on these things. He sees that that's that's what's going to happen. That's what needs to happen. Now, You look at the history of the church, of course, and there's an awful lot of not unity, right? There's an awful lot of not being of the same mind. There's an awful lot of not being willing to do what Paul does in those cases where he just says, God will reveal it to you. It's almost condescending, you know. Don't worry, you'll get it eventually. But he lets it go at that. He teaches on it, and he says, yeah, but if you don't get it now, don't worry, God will reveal it to you. This is important because if we don't have any idea of how to pursue unity the right way, there's, there's two directions that you can go with this. One is you can fall off the road into the ditch of never being willing to engage in any kind of conflict. And that's what most people today in the church who have a name that's known uh for unity have done and i think that's always going to be the case because the ditch that you fall into on the other side in terms of unity isn't ever going to get you a name it's to isolate and isolate and isolate and isolate yourself with fewer and fewer and fewer people until you're the only one left and you have perfect unity right 
So anyone who's, who's known for promoting unity is liable to have fallen off on the other side if they've fallen off the road into one of the ditches, into opposing any kind of conflict, opposing any kind of discipline. But you see how those are two things that can have the appearance of unity. One, to be so hyper-particular about doctrines that you can't do the kind of thing that Paul does in saying, God will reveal it to you. And saying, let no one be your judge on these matters of conscience, right? And on the other hand, saying, there's conflict? Well, that's evidence of somebody's doing something terrible. Paul knows that conflict is necessary for unity to truly exist. The book of Galatians is nothing but him fighting, being in deep, terrible conflict. Why? To preserve the unity and purity of the church so that they can be of one mind with one another. And so the unity that you see when he, when he says, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, <clears throat> that has to include what we think, what we believe. Why? Why is it so important to have the same doctrine? Well, the reason is because it's protection against false teachers. It's protection against the splitting of the church unnecessarily into factions and fractions, right? Over here in the other ditch, you've got people saying that doctrine divides, But actually what Paul says here is, no, it is precisely the doctrine that unites. Being of the same mind with one another is necessary to have anything more than getting along. To have the true unity and love that he's talking about requires there to be a unity in belief. That unity that he seeks, of course, doesn't end with doctrine and and what you think, what you believe, right? Of course it doesn't, because Paul also wrote the love chapter, right? Where he says, look, I don't care how smart you are, I don't care how right your theology, your doctrine is, I don't care... If you're a fantastic speaker, if you don't have love, you don't have anything. And so, yes, here we see the same thing. Being of the same mind 
maintaining the same love. Maintaining the same love. Well, you got to realize here, again, remember I said this list is all in the, con- both of these lists. First, the if, you know, if there are any of these things, which there obviously are, and they're all in relation to Paul. you got to realize that the second list also is still in relation to Paul. So when he's saying being of the same mind, yes, it means of the same mind with one another, right? But what he's saying is, They're to be of the same mind with him. Maintaining the same love, you see the same thing. What same love? The same love that they have had up until this point. He and them and they with one another. Maintaining, maintaining that same love. You see the ease with which uh, being of the same mind and loving one another can degenerate and fall apart. And how that love needs to be maintained. It's amazing how quickly things like selfishness can blow the whole thing sky high. Or empty conceit, right? We'll get into those more again, as I said, later. But that love needs to be pursued. It needs to be maintained. And of course, the love that Paul is talking about is first and foremost the love that they have for God and in God for one another. That's always been the heart of Christian love because, as John reminds us, we love because... Any of you kids know? We love because what? He first loved us. That's first John, right? I'm really bad with those things. Going way out on a limb when I start citing from memory. (laughs) We love because he first loved us. So that's the love that we're maintaining. That love that exists, exists only because God first loved us. Without that, there is never going to be the kind of unity that Paul is seeking. What else does he put in there? United in spirit and intent on one purpose. United in spirit and intent on one purpose. What is the one purpose? 
again, you think of, you think of Duplos and it's easy to see whether there's one purpose or whether there's people working at cross purposes, right? It's amazing how when things get physical, it's just like everything's, everything becomes so clear. Are they working on the same thing? No, this person cares about the pattern. It has to go green, yellow, red, blue. This person only cares about it getting taller. Blue, 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 blue. The other person's going, no, take that off. Here. (laughs) United in spirit. Intent on one purpose. You see this in churches too. When everybody has different purposes, sometimes they're both legitimate goals, right? There has to be something, there has to be something binding your, your little, your little subtask into a, a main unifying theme or vision. There has to be a main goal, right? If the main goal is, hey, let's make a tower together, that looks good. One person can be the expert on stabilizing, and the other can be the expert on design and getting the colors right. And you can still work together. You see? But there has to be a shared purpose. There has to be a united spirit behind it or else you'll just end up fighting again. The same thing happens in churches. If everyone starts forgetting the main purpose, loses that united spirit with one another, and just is off on their own thing, like, hey, you know, I'm working on uh, hospitality. And another person is off going, well, I'm working on doctrine. Then immediately, there's, there's two ways that it can go. They can be united by a shared common ultimate purpose, or they can forget that, and immediately, they're looking down on each other, fighting with one another, thinking that, that the other person's gifts don't matter. Do we share one purpose? Do we have one vision that we're pursuing? What I want you to <clears throat> what I want you to think about here is the Apostle Paul. Think about his life. What did he give himself to doing? What is the book of Acts, the second half of Acts, all about? It's all about Paul doing what? He goes from place to place making tents, right? Is that his purpose? No, that's not his purpose. That's how he's pursuing his purpose. What is his purpose? We saw it in the sermon a few weeks back. We've seen it over and over again in this letter. He wants 
the gospel to be spreading, right? But what, what does he spend his time doing? When, when we talk about gospel spreading, when we talk about the gospel being the one thing that matters, okay, and that's a common thing today across all kinds of people and all kinds of churches, you'll hear that being the central thing. But what I want you to see this morning is that the way that Paul pursues that is with this basic assumption that, that when the gospel goes out in power, when it is accomplishing its purpose, what is happening is that the church is being built and established. That's what's happening. And so you don't see the kind of... Um, you, you don't see Paul just going from place to place and preaching to large crowds and not expecting that there's going to come something from it. If the gospel has had an impact, if people's lives have been changed, if they have turned away from sin in repentance to Jesus Christ by faith, what you're going to see is they're going to come together into a body. They're going to come together into a body. That's this unity that he's seeking in the Philippian church. He's like, look, we got a church going there. The goal is still that the gospel would go forth in power. I don't care if it happens through me going to jail. I don't care if it happens through me being persecuted. I don't care if it happens with you going to jail and you being persecuted. I don't care if there's opposition. There's going to be opposition. We're pursuing one purpose, one vision, united in spirit in this work. And what is the work? The work is the gospel. The evidence of it is the church. So if Paul preaches in a place and he leaves without there being any church there, what's that proof of? Failure. Really, failure. I mean, that's... He's going around planting churches by preaching the gospel. So I was talking with somebody this week who's considering planting a church, and he said something about Evangel Presbytery. And I said to him, I don't care about Evangel Presbytery. Now, I spent a lot of time this week on Evangel Presbytery. (laughs) So obviously, I do care about Evangel Presbytery, right? But when I say, I don't care about Evangel Presbytery, I mean that in the context of, look, the church is to be built. If Evangel Presbytery isn't serving that purpose, forget it. 
if our church body isn't serving that purpose, then forget it. Do we want to see the body of Christ built here on earth, established? Do we want to see his will being done? Then what we want to see is we want to see healthy, growing churches. That's what we want to see. We want to see more churches being established. That's what we want to see. And so Paul here says, look, there has to be unity. If if you care about me, be united. Don't just tolerate each other. Don't just get along. Work with me here. Work with each other here. There has to be a shared purpose. There has to be a common vision. They have to be intent on it, united in spirit as they pursue that work together. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. Behold how good And how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. You see people working together on a common vision, common goal, delighting to work with each other, to help each other, to be helped by each other, not being proud, not being too proud to help somebody else because they'll get the credit, not being too proud to accept their help because then your credit will be diminished, right? Not being in competition with one another, but sharing one purpose. Let's get it built. What a beautiful thing that is. Let's pray.